So I was uh, with our men's group Wednesday night, and uh, we were just kind of talking, and you know, kind of the vibe around the uh, church since Easter we announced this new series. All the ladies are like super pumped, like a relationship series, finally. And then you talk to the guys, and they're like, Pastor, I thought we were like a brotherhood here. You're like, like, what are you doing to us? You're a traitor kind of idea. So just a couple things as we kind of open up this new series. Ladies, men kind of think about relationships the way that you think about cars. We want them to work, but we don't want to work on them. So whenever we hear you say, we need to talk about us, we need to talk about our relationship. What we hear is, there's something wrong with us, and you want to fix it. This all kind of reminds me of like when Renee and I might go for a drive in, in, my, in my little convertible. And so we're going on this drive, and, and, and maybe I hear a noise. And I'm like, Renee, do you hear that knock? You hear that noise? You hear that rattle? And she's like, no, I don't hear anything. I'm like, no, listen, listen. Do you hear that? No, I don't hear anything. We're turning down the air conditioner, turning down the radio. Don't you hear that? No. And then the next thing you know, she's driving, and I'm on the passenger side, and I'm trying to figure out where that noise is. I'm like, you don't hear that? She's like, no, I don't hear anything. And then, you know, the next thing you know, we're in front of our house, and, like, I'm out of the car, and she's driving real slow, and I'm walking along next to it, like, trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, her attitude is just kind of like, well, can't you just turn up the radio? I mean, we're not broken down somewhere. Does it really matter? Or maybe you're here today, and you're not married. Your, your boyfriend, you know, he lives in an apartment or something, and, and so you go over to his house and, and, or his apartment, and you pull up in the parking lot, and as you pull up in the parking lot, you see that the hood's up on the car, and he's like looking in, and you think to yourself, you kind of chuckle to yourself, he doesn't know anything about cars. And then you ask him what he's doing, he goes, I'm just checking. And ladies, you're thinking to yourself, what's there to check? As long as it works and it drives and you're not broken down on the road, just go. And that's the way men think about relationships. Unless it's just really, really broke, don't worry about it. Just do it. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be kind of talking about relationships. And it doesn't matter if, if you're just in a dating relationship or maybe you're just single and thinking about relationships. Or perhaps you're newlyweds or you're engaged or, or maybe you've been married for a while. Whatever it is, we're just going to be talking about relationships. Just kind of diving into that and, and just talking about all the different nuances of relationships. Now when it comes to relationships, all of us bring an invisible box that has our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. Everybody brings that in to a relationship. And if you happen to be engaged here this morning, hopefully you have some idea of what's in your fiance's box. 
We talked about a lot about that whenever I do premarital counseling, understanding the expectations going into a marriage from both parties' side. If you are married, I really hope you have a pretty good idea of what's in your spouse's box of, of hopes, dreams, and desires. But a lot of times, even married couples don't, and it creates some friction. It, it creates some problems. So what do I have this morning? I have two boxes. And this box here just kind of represents, I need a shorter table. This box here just kind of represents hopes, dreams, and expectations. There's all kinds of things that might go in a box like this. Money. Everybody has hopes and dreams and desires about money. And you get married and you're thinking, you know, we're going to have two incomes. And the other person's like, no, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to be a stay-at-home dad. Or, or maybe we're going to make so much money that we can both stay home. Or one of you is kind of a spender and you're thinking, we're going to spend and buy all this stuff. And the other one's like, no, 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 no. We're going to save a lot of money. And so everybody just kind of comes in. And they have all these kind of expectations about money. Are you going to lease? Are you just going to buy outright? 
know? Do you want to live downtown and experience all that revitalization stuff that's going on in a lot of downtown areas? Or, no, we want to be out in the country and it's nice and quiet. Rent or buy? Well, my mom and dad said, you need to buy because it's a good investment. Or, well, my parents, my dad said, no, you need to figure yourselves out a little bit and figure out exactly where you want to live. You need to rent for a while and then make that big commitment of buying a house. So you know you've got hopes and dreams and desires as, as it relates to the house. What about scheduling? You know, how are we going to spend our time? We're going to spend it all together. We'll spend it with your friends. We're going to spend it with my friends. No, I don't even want you to know my friends. We're not going to be doing that. You know, how are we going to spend our time? You know, what kind of things are we going to do? So you got the whole scheduling thing. And then, I think every guy has this idea in his mind, what his wife will not wear to bed. <laughs> not wear to bed. And she's thinking, well, he doesn't care about stuff like that. He just wants me to be comfortable. He just loves me the way I am. That kind of stuff doesn't matter. And then how about the calendar? How are we going to plan things out? You know, what, what, what about the holidays, those, those types of things? You know, this was a thing with, with Renee and I, and, and Renee was very generous. She said, so my family only needs three holidays. We'll take Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter, and you can have all the rest of them. <laughs> you can have Groundhog Day. You can have St. Patrick's Day. You can have Halloween. You know, just, she didn't actually say that, but, you know, it is a big deal. You know, where are you going to spend all that? But here's the thing. In-laws, they have thoughts and expectations about how you're gonna how you're gonna spend the holidays. And then there, there's this one. Conflict resolution, right? I mean, every marriage is going to have some conflict. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. And so you start talking about conflict and, and, and how you're gonna solve conflict. And one of you is like, well, in my family, we just yelled at each other. We just got it out there, and we were done with it. And the other's like, no, we're not doing that. That's crazy. That's uncivilized. That's not insensitive. We're not doing that. And the other one's like, well, we just need to be completely honest with each other. And maybe the other person's like, no, 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 no. You hurt people's feelings when you're completely honest. We need to be honest in everything we say, but we don't need to say everything. And so you got the whole conflict thing. How are you going to resolve conflict? And then there's some guys that are like, conflict resolution? I thought that's what sex was for. I thought that's what you do for that. And so you just have this whole idea of conflict resolution. And then there's another one. This is a big one. And I don't even have an illustration for it. How are they going to, how is he or she going to treat me? I mean, we all have an idea of how we're going to be treated. Well, he is I don't think, I don't expect her to ever say that to me. I don't expect him to say that to me. I don't ever expect him to do that in my company. I don't ever expect her to do that. And we all have these ideas of, of behavior and how somebody is going to treat us. And so we bring all these hopes and all these desires that we, and dreams, we put them in a box, and we bring them into our relationship. And we call them extras. Whoops. Somebody's going to think we're playing toys again. 
And we bring them into a marriage. Or we bring them into to other types of relationships. And there are several things that impact our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, and our desires. It's, it's kind of what we've experienced and what we've seen through the years. You know, maybe yours is, maybe it's some, like some couple you saw on TV and it's a celebrity couple and you think, that's what I want my relationship to look like. Or maybe it was your grandparents. They've been married for 55 years and you're like, that's what I want my marriage to look like. Or maybe it's an older brother or sister or some friends of yours or somebody at church that you kind of admire their relationship. And you're like, that's what I want. That's the kind of relationship that I want. But the thing that most influences our hopes and our dreams and our desires is the home that we grow up in. And it's a very complicated, and it's a very emotional thing. Most of my hopes and dreams and desires are in response to what I grew up with. And we're either trying to avoid something or we're trying to recreate something. Maybe you're trying to avoid something. I am not going to be like my mom. I am not going to be like my dad. We are not going to have the kind of marriage that they had. I am not doing that. I am not suffering like my mom did for all those years or like my dad did. We're not going there. <clears throat> or maybe it's something very positive. Man, I hope we have a marriage like them. I hope I have a marriage like my parents. I hope my husband does the kind of things that my dad did for my mom and my mom did for my and even in those situations where you're trying to create something very positive, even in the best of situations, when you're engaged, whether you're getting married, whether you're at the altar, here's what happens. At some point, we take our box and we hand it to somebody else. And we say, I want you to make my hopes and my dreams and my desires come true. And that's kind of where the rub starts. That's where the tension is. Because you know what? For them, it doesn't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires. <coughs> it feels like a weight. It feels like a responsibility. It feels like homework. It feels like expectations. It feels like the bar has been raised. It feels like if I don't meet these expectations, you're going to be disappointed in me. Expectations are simply this. A strong desire, a strong belief that something will happen. Maybe it will happen immediately, or maybe it will happen in the future. And this is not our dream home. Well, he hasn't gotten rid of that yet, but he will. She hasn't changed yet, but she will. Or we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. Won't we? Won't we? And then eventually something happens. The person that you give that box to, whether you're engaged or in a dating relationship or married or whatever, eventually... They can't meet all your hopes and dreams and desires. And then there starts to be problems. But here's the thing. 
When that happens, the eyes, I, I, and I, I, start to collide. It's not you and me colliding. It's the eyes that collide because it's both about me. It's about I. These were my hopes and dreams and expectations. The other person, these were my hopes and dreams and expectations. And they're not being met. And they start to collide. And when they collide, there are five things that can happen. I just kind of want to talk about four of them this morning. The first one is this. The most extreme, when the eyes collide, the wheels collide, whatever you want to call it, the first thing is somebody leaves. That's the most extreme. <laughs> you know what? That's not what I had in mind. That's not what I signed up for. You changed the rules. You switched gears on me. You didn't make that clear. I am out of this relationship. I can't carry this expectation anymore. I'll never live up to what you want me to be. And then you leave. You know what you do when you leave? You grab your box of hopes, dreams, and expectations, and you take it and hand it to the next person in the next relationship. That's what happens. So that's the first one. Somebody leaves. The second one is this. Somebody has to win. You know, in every relationship, there's usually a more dominant personality. Not always, but most of the time, there's a more dominant personality. And what happens in those types of relationships, somebody, the, the more dominant personality, just kind of powers up, and they, they win. And they leverage what I'm going to call the, the four C's this morning. They convince, they convict, they control, and they coerce. Those are the four C's. You want to know how to have a, to, to ruin a relationship? You want to know how to have a frightening relationship? Exercise those four things, and you will absolutely ruin a relationship. You convince. We say, now look, I realize that this is how you thought it should be. But you're wrong. I realize you, this is how you thought we would deal with conflict, but that's the wrong way to deal with conflict. That might have been the way that your family done, dealt with conflict, and I'm not trying to be mean, but they were just dumb. I mean, like, how did that work out for your family? I mean, they were just stupid. Look, mine is the good box, and yours is the bad box. And so we're, we're trying to win. And so you're trying to make that person, so to speak, be in your image. And people are always happy when they try to be somebody they're not, right? I mean, it, 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 doesn't it work that way? Don't you always become happier when you're not who God intends for you to be? But that's what happens in those kind of, kind of relationships. And it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, you just need to forget about your box. I mean, we're not saying that literally. About your hopes, dreams, and desires, and you just need to come and embrace mine. Because mine is the best one. Mine is the right one. We need to do it that way. And here's the interesting thing about that. The winners happy. Right? I mean, why shouldn't they be? Both people are in the same box. And the winner is happy. And they say, say things like, 
what's wrong with her? Can you figure out what's wrong with him? But I, you know, he or she seems to be coming along. I just got to remember the right things. And the flip side to that, you got the lead, you got the win. And then the flip side to the, to the win, especially, is the person who just conforms. The conformer. The person who tries to compensate for somebody else so that that person will love them. So that somebody will accept them. That's the conformer. We abandon who we are to make somebody else happy, regardless of whether or not it works for us or not. It really works for the person who wins, but interestingly enough, it works to a degree for the conformer. You know why? Because the temperature comes down. The tension comes down. The fighting and the argument come down. And people in this kind of situation say things like, well, I'll just deal with it as long as they're happy. I'll, I'll, I'll just deal with it. I'll keep it to myself. It's not my hope. It's not my dream. But as long as it keeps the peace, it's not what I expected. It's not what I want. But, but I'll just do it. At the end of the day, I'll just do it. And then the fourth one is this. It's the co most common response. It's compromise. Now, a lot of people actually think, well, that's kind of the goal of marriage, isn't it? Just to compromise, and, and maybe you think that. The goal is not to win. The goal is to compromise. That's how you stay married. You just compromise. My parents weren't really that happy, but they just compromised on some things. They got by. They've been together for 25 years, and you just compromise. That's what you do. You just kind of work it out. Neither one of them is really crazy about the situation, but they compromise. And the problem in a compromised marriage, people are keeping score. Everybody's keeping score because it's a compromise, right? So it's got to be, it's got to be kind of even. So there's this compromise that's going on. Well, I know it's your, you know, you go to your parents' house, but my father's sick. He's not going to last another year. Well, it doesn't matter. It's my turn. We're going to my dad's house. And so there's this scorekeeping that's going on. And when there's compromise. What else happens is this. In a marriage relationship, a lot of times in compromise, because there's scorekeeping, there's low trust. And when there's low trust, there's all kinds of breakdowns in a marriage. When there's low trust, there's low intimacy. If you're single and you wonder what the secret is to a great sex life, it's trust. You cannot give yourself fully if you don't trust somebody has everything to do with trust. You see, at the end of the day, a compromised relationship is committed to the wrong thing. It's committed, and stay with me through this because you're going to think I'm saying something that I'm not. It's committed to the marriage, or it's committed to the dating relationship. You've heard people say this. Maybe you've said it. I'm committed to my marriage. I'm committed to our dating relationship. But you know what? Nobody marries a marriage. Nobody dates a relationship. Nobody is engaged to a relationship. There is a name in that equation. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard this. And I remember, I, I, I hear it periodically. And people say things like, you know, marriage is just really hard. And you may have said that. Marriage is just 
really hard. And I have couples come in when I'm doing premarital counseling, and they'll ask me about that. Why do people always say that? It's so discouraging. And say, why marriage is hard? Marriage, any marriage has its ups and downs and its bumps, but I've never felt like marriage is hard. Maybe that's a great compliment to Renee. I don't know. But I never, and I remember when we were younger, I'd hear people say that. Older couples would go, oh, marriage is so hard. And I'm thinking, marriage is fine. This is great. Oh, marriage is so hard. And I think to myself, well, thanks for sharing that bumper with us. This is what I have to look forward to. I don't want Renee, maybe I don't, I don't want Renee to be committed to our marriage. That might sound funny, right? I want her to be committed to me, not to the marriage. I want her to be committed to me. But when you're in a compromised marriage, you're, you're, you're mostly committed to the marriage. You're just compromising for the sake of the marriage. You want the relationship to work. And again, it kind of becomes about you because it's about your relationship this compromise and, and the money and, and those different types of things and our, and our kids having two parents. And it's not a total commitment. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, it's good to be committed to your marriage, obviously. But it's better to be committed to the person. You should want a good marriage. Nothing wrong with that. But be committed to the person. So there are the four options. Here's the fifth one. And if you want to know the fifth one, you're going to have to come back next week. <laughs> We're going to look at the fifth one next week. And it's wonderful and it's amazing. But I just want to spend a few more minutes kind of framing stuff up, so to speak. And I don't think what I've said this morning is anything earth-shattering. You've probably heard these types of things before. Maybe thought, gosh, I never thought about it in the way of, of those visuals, but that, that's exactly what I've experienced. I just want to kind of frame it up in a different way. Expectations create an interrelationship, a debt debtor relationship. That's what expectations do. Maybe another way of saying it is expectations create kind of a you owe me kind of thing. You owe me. You owe me attention. You owe me to fully resolve the conflict. You owe it to me to do what I want on the calendar. You owe me affection. You owe me intimacy. You owe me to take care of the bills. You owe it to me to make sure you spend so much time with the kids. And you, you create, that's what expectations do if you really think about it. They create this owe me kind of thing. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, Renee expects flowers on Valentine's Day or whatever. Your wife expects flowers, whatever. Or you owe me a gift at Christmas. Or, or just the list can goes on and on. It, it's an owe me kind of thing when you have these expectations and you place them on somebody else. And you know what doesn't thrive in an owe me kind of setting? Love. Love doesn't thrive in that kind of setting. So here's the question. Dennis, what am I supposed to do with my box of expectations? 
If I'm not supposed to give it to somebody because that's going to create this whole owe-me relationship, which really isn't going to foster love, then what do I do with it? I've spent my whole life putting those hopes and dreams and desires in that box. I mean, that's, that's all I've thought about. It's a very emotional thing. I've grown up with that. Do I just pretend that I want children? Do I just pretend that I have no vision for money in our house at all? Do I just pretend that I don't care how we spend time? Do I just, you know, I don't even care if we live indoors. Let's buy a tent somewhere. Love will see us through it all. Is that what I'm supposed to do with that? Just pretend, just ignore, just, just lie about it? Here's what happens. So Jesus is nearing the end of his three-year public ministry. And he's got his guys together. And he basically tells them, John chapter 13, guys, when we started this journey, there were some 630-ish Jewish commands. And I boil them down to two. Love God, love your neighbor. He said, but now, and this is important, John, John, you need to write this down. And so in John chapter 13, verse 34, this is what he says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In the old days, it was like do unto others as you would have others do unto you. He's, those days are gone. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Unconditional love. And then the Apostle Paul, he comes along and he takes this overarching principle that Jesus has set forth in John chapter 13, and he applies it to all types of relationships, all types. And of course, he applies it to marriage, which we're going to look at next week. But he takes this overarching command, and in, before we get to that passage on marriage, which we're going to talk about next week, in the first part of chapter 5, we'll be in the middle part next week. He says in verse 1, to all Christians. And then in verse 2, he says, walk in the way of love. And you're thinking, no, that's what I want to tell my girlfriend. Well, that's like a love song. So Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm not done yet. That's not all there is, not just walk in the way of love. He says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And Christian couples get that. That you drop Jesus in the center of your relationship. That's what Christian couples do. Happy couples do. And they drop Jesus in the center of their relationship. And they unconditionally love each other. And that's why you see it. I've seen this. You've seen this. You see couples that are so happy. And you look at the circumstances of their life. And you think, how can they be that happy? You think maybe of some trials and hardships and difficulties they've gone through. And they're happy. Or you look at a couple, and, and by the world standards, they're not, quote unquote, by world standards, successful. 
there's no big house, there's no famous, there's no celebrity, there's no lots of money and fancy cars. And yet they're like the happiest people you know. You're like, why is that? They understand this principle, that you unconditionally love each other just like So next week, we're going to kind of get into that. That whole idea that we've all heard before, where that passage where Paul talks about being submissive, and that's kind of the key to that passage. What, what does that be submissive mean? Because a lot of times it gets jerked out of context. Does that just mean, well, you know, the husband's the boss, and, and the wife just needs to do whatever he says? He's the head of the house. She just needs to follow along and just do what he says? Because if that's what the Bible's teaching, that really sounds like it conflicts with that win kind of thing where, where nobody really wins. Is that what it's about? <coughs> We're going to look at that next week. And I know we didn't look at a lot of Bible this week, and that was kind of purposeful. Because I really feel like I couldn't do an introduction in five minutes for that passage and do it justice because I really want everybody to understand how important Ephesians chapter 5 is when Paul talks about being submissive. So in a way, this is kind of an introduction to the whole series because it's so important when he talks about this. And we need to have this background and this understanding about relationships and some of this general kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's unconditional love that we practice just like Christ and this idea of submissiveness is almost the idea that Paul's going to bring forth next week is like, it's kind of like a race to the back of the line where everybody's trying to let everybody else first. And when you put that into a marriage, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. Homework assignment. Two questions. What's in your box? You should know that. And you need to at least think about it. What's in your box? Maybe you need to write it down, put a slip of paper in the back of your Bible or something. What's in your box? Even if you're single, what's in your box? That's going to be a big deal when you get married later. Maybe you're engaged. What's in your box? And here's the second question. Have you taken your box and handed it to somebody, and you just totally think it's their responsibility to make all your hopes and dreams and desires come Maybe you did it on purpose. Maybe you did it inadvertently. But have you done that? Have you, have you just like taken that box and it's somebody else's responsibility to make your hopes and dreams and desires come true? Those are your homework assignments. We'll resume next week in Ephesians chapter 5. Oh.